North Korea defeating Italy, Iceland beating England, Greece winning the Euros, Norwich beating Spurs 3-0 on Sunday, and Sassuolo smashing Milan. Miracles can and do happen. So all we're saying is we're not losing hope just yet, although knowing our luck, Arsenal and Inter will lose anyway. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, I am Rory. This is Season 2, Episode 66... And I'm joined by my good friend. Tommy, what up? What up? We're almost at the end of the season. It's going to be a smoking hot weekend. Honestly, I can't wait for the weekend to be over. To just know who's going to win this title and just, you know, (laughs) live accordingly. Then make the decisions that will ensue. But yeah, I'm very happy to be here in one of our last episodes of the season. Not quite the last because... We've got a Euro Review Monday still, and then next Friday, we're going to give our Anglo-Italian pod awards to the best players, best teams of the season, best managers, and so on. Before we start, remember to follow us on Instagram at Anglo-Italian pod, on Twitter at Anglo-Italian pod, and to give one of your last cheeky little follows to our sponsor at the Sports Club Maps. Rory, how are you doing today? I am bloody hot i don't know if i'm this is just going to be every episode i talk about this now listeners i don't know if we mentioned it last episode but it's really hot in milan um it's it's nice to walk around but i do wish i had a job where i could wear shorts although i'm not sure what jobs that are well paid you're allowed to wear shorts any Um, job that you do from home basically yeah true true in the modern world not quite i think in a classroom it looks a bit dodgy if you're in shorts hey yeah, absolutely. Also because I have a super dodgy tattoo on my calf that does not make any sense. It's very unlike me. I don't even know why I got it, but it's there. It's a skull with a snake inside of it. So and you're just such a badass, Tommy. That's why. From your yeah, from yeah, your yeah. biker days, right? Yeah, from yeah, from when I used to own a a, a Harley Davidson, exactly. <laughs> but um uh, look, man, uh I'm doing good. You didn't ask, but I will answer anyways. I'm good, hot. Okay as well i'm hot as well and since i was so hot today between one lesson and the other i decided to clean my apartment because i needed to do some spring cleaning the pollen was getting into my apartment and stuff i needed to vacuum the shit out of my flat (laughs) but i'm very excited about this episode we are going to of course review the europa league final won by german club frankfurt over rangers more on that later and then of course we're going to preview this very intense finish to the premier league where the top four still has to be decided the winner of the title still has to be decided and a few teams are still fighting in order to avoid relegation in italy the picture is a bit clearer but we still need a winner and who will survive between salernitana and cagliari but most importantly we've got a great interview with a great person a referee more on that later you're gonna find the interview in our weekly topic before we start with our euro review rory today it's someone's birthday correct it is it is a legend of the game's birthday someone who maybe juventus would be hoping might be hoping had stayed an extra year it Mm. is the metronome himself andrea pirlo's birthday so auguri andrea i think it's someone that we've talked about a little bit but let's go off the top of your head favorite pirlo moments I honestly, I was just looking up right now the year, but my favorite Pirlo goal was the one that he scored against Real Madrid at the Bernabeu in the group Mm. stage of the Champions League. 
out of nowhere, I don't know how we kind of picked that that spot, how we thought about shooting from that distance. But oh my god, what a goal! On the Casillas was not expecting it in the slightest, and he kind of sees the ball coming a little too late. He doesn't dive greatly, but the ball goes in, and that's the first Pirlo goal that comes to my mind. Another Pirlo moment that comes to my mind is the crossbar that he hit versus England at the Euros with oh. Joe Hart screaming to the ball boy, give me the fucking ball, give me the ball, <laughs> goddammit. Uh, because that, if that had gone in, it would have been yet another Pierlo masterpiece. What about you? Um, I think in general, that performance against England, despite it being against England and it being um, painful, so, so painful, him at that tournament, he was absolutely outstanding, especially in that game. The penalty he takes basically ended Joe Hart's career. I think at that point, Joe Hart was like a really promising, really exciting goalkeeper and his career just never recovered from that. I'm not saying that I'm happy about that. I just think that's how good that penalty was. Um, Apart from that, it's fairly obvious, but the assist in the World Cup semi-final as well, just the absolute beauty of the pause, the pause, and then put the ball through. It's just not to think about that moment. Yeah, that that beautiful ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, the obligatory shout for if you haven't read his his, um, autobiography yet, genuinely read it. It is not like any other footballer book I've read. Even the title, I think, therefore I play, kind of makes it stand out amongst like, you know, Paul Gascoigne, my story. Peter Shilton, my story. (laughs) It's a bit more deep and how he thinks about the game is really genuinely, there's some beautiful parts in it. I realize he didn't sit and write it, but it's a beautifully written book. A great quote from uh, that pass that he played for Grosso to then take the lead against Germany in the World Cup semifinals of 2006. A great story is Gennaro Gattuso telling it from his perspective. He was just like, fucking hell, I know Pirlo like a brother. And in that moment, I just wanted to yell at him, what the fuck are you doing? Just pass it, shoot, do something. And then he's like, I see the pass, the ball goes in and I'm like, yeah, that's why I don't play in his position. You know, like he knows what he's doing and I have no fucking clue on how to play like that. Well played, Andrea. I thought that was an incredible story. If you guys want to practice your Italian a little bit, um, you can type Sfide, which means challenges on YouTube. It's the name of an Italian TV show that aired until a few years ago. And there is a special of the World Cup 2006 uh, where nice. they interview all of the players. And it's just oh, wow. incredible because, I don't know, they... I don't know. I feel like there are, there are so many funny stories about that tournament, just like ping pong games and people waking up late and people drinking a bit too much and then just like becoming... Well, this is where the stories about him getting attacked by Gattuso with De Rossi, like them hiding in his wardrobe and stuff. and like I believe so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and even in his book, Pirlo, I think one of the lines is like, in the morning, I played PlayStation and in the evening, I won the World Cup. And it's just like, holy shit. It sounds like it was an incredible, incredible camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great squad. Was he referring to the real World Cup or to the PlayStation? Maybe (laughs) both. I don't know. Maybe it was a super successful day. (laughs) Who knows? And then we've got a piece of news, very interesting, found by yours and yours only, Rory Criscuolo, hailing all the way from the other side of the Southern Atlantic Ocean. What have we got, Rory? Well, as always, I feel like you always um, reference uh, Revista Contasti, and I always reference The Athletic. And there yeah. was an article in The Athletic today. Um, honestly, it is definitely worth that subscription fee. They're not even our sponsors, guys. Not yet. Um, and 
they were talking about the Brazilian league. Uh, so it's a it's a league that's kind of any football manager players will know how crazy complicated it is. It's just I've tried to do saves in Brazil and I give up after about ten games. I'm like I just don't. I have no idea what what's happening. So this turns out is a problem in the real world too. And the Brazilian clubs are kind of sick of the fact that nothing makes sense, nothing works, the pitches are terrible, the stadiums are empty. But despite all this, they've got got and have had one of the greatest national teams since football began, right? So why can their domestic game not match it? And what they've done is they've looked at the Premier League, they've looked at the European leagues, and they're taking their inspiration directly from the Premier League now. So the big 13 clubs... Um, and they're expanding it to the 20 teams that are in the first division in the Premier League. Um, they are trying to separate from the CBF, which is the Brazilian FA, because, well, there's a million, a million reasons why they would want to separate, but it's a complete shit show with that FA. Unable to organise anything, and the national game is suffering. Interest is dwindling. People are now just, rather than supporting Flamengo and Fluminense, and they're now just supporting Chelsea and Manchester United. So they're seeing like the domestic game down. So this is their way of stopping that. And I think it's quite an exciting idea because to have a genuinely quality Brazilian league, I think would be incredible. The the players that come out of that country, if we could sit and watch them be developed in a league that was competitive, that was a decent standard. Like imagine how good their national team could be if their domestic league was decent. Like yeah, they yeah, could yeah. be unbelievable. So I think it's just it, we're not going to see the 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 effects of this for like decades or like for up to ten years, right? But this is like the first step in them trying to promote their league and improve it. And I think we were talking about it off camera a little bit or off mic that. If the Premier League can be sold in Brazil, right, there's no reason why the Brazilian League can't be sold in England or can't be sold in Europe, right? The time difference is the same. The interest levels are just as high. Like, I'm pretty sure that if Brazilian football was on to watch and it was a decent level, I would quite happily sit and watch it if I didn't have work the next morning, right? (laughs) Or I'd at least watch highlight packages. I'd keep up with it. But I feel like at the moment, the league is so uncompetitive. There's two teams that can only ever win the league. And there's a few leagues like that in Europe, to be fair. But um, there's only two teams that can win a league and they're trying to fix it. So it's quite an exciting moment in Brazilian football, I think. Yeah, and uh, one thing that I think... um, Damn it, it happened again. I wanted to say a smart thing and I've forgotten it. What did I want to say? He uses this excuse in conversation Ah, all the time down the bar as well, guys. Here it is. So the thing that I want to say is that I just hope that I know that this goes against the free market and everything, but I just hope at this point that at some point somebody with billions comes in and is just like, boom, broadcasting rights, they're all mine. You pay one fucking subscription per month and you get HD games (laughs) from Brazil, England, France, Germany, Italy, Spain, and Malaysia. Like, this needs to be done. And if that man is... Even if that man is Jeff Bezos that I can't stand, um, be it. Like, I don't fucking care. Like, I just need one channel where I can watch all the football I want instead of, you know, just lags online and then your favorite player is about to take a penalty and you have to wait one minute, refreshing and all that shit. I'm that tired of that bullshit. Yeah. Well, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be Amazon, right? If anyone's going to do it, it's going to be them, I think. Go Jeff. Uh, (laughs) But the interesting thing is as well, in Brazil, they're getting loads of investors coming in and buying teams now. So Red Bull have bought Brabant 
Tio Brabantino. Um, so now they're Red Bull Brabantino. The City Group are looking at buying Bahia. Um, the guys who own, I want to say Inter are looking at a club. And I want to say the guys who own, uh, basically, a lot of clubs in Brazil are starting to be looked at as investment opportunities. Um, so there and could so, be a genuine improvement and quick. Yeah. And so all we can say is, boa sorte, good luck, Brazilian fellow football fans. It's time to start our Euro review. Rory, let's inflate this blimp for the last time this season. And let's go to Sevilla. Boom. Hola, como estas? We are in Sevilla. What a beautiful city. And what a, what did you think of the final? I thought it was an interesting final. It was, man, the, the atmosphere was incredible, but mm. it kind of makes me laugh. What a beautiful city, you say, and you're complaining about the heat in Milan. Um, I was going to make a comment. <laughs> <laughs> imagine the, I've seen people get married at 11 p.m. in Sevilla, and when I asked the why, they were like, because otherwise the makeup of the bride would drool all over the white dress. And I was just like, that makes a lot of sense. It is the it, hottest place I've ever been to. It's yeah, mental. Yeah. I bet that both the Glasgow and the Frankfurt fans were just like, they'd never seen such heat. But look, the atmosphere was incredible, I thought. Um, just also, I love that the Rangers fans were all wearing blue. The Frankfurt mm-hmm. fans were all wearing white. Great atmosphere also over in Germany, in Frankfurt, as the club opened their stadium uh, for the fans to watch it on the pitch, which I thought was amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's German organization. We've never seen anything like that in Italy. By the <laughs> way, the Bernabeu is going to do the same thing for the Champions League final. Um, they're going to, by the way, we've never talked about this, but the new Bernabeu is just going to oh make my God. It's incredible, right? so much money. It's an American-type arena, you know, that you yeah, can turn yeah, into yeah. a basketball court, you can turn into a hockey rink, you can turn into a concert hall, and it's going to make the club so much money. It's incredible. But look, I thought that the final was uh, was pretty good. Yeah, it was interesting. It was nice. Definitely, um, upon rewatching the highlights too, I was just like, you kind of get why these teams do, do not playing the Champions League, and if they played in mm-hmm. the Champions League, they would never get to the final. And it makes sense. It's like a tier above. But uh, the thing that made me quite sad, I think, is also the same that made you sad at the very end of the game. Well, we're going to get to it. We're, yeah, we're going to yeah, yeah. get to it. I want to talk about the positives first before <laughs> like my my heartbreak. Um, players that stood out to me. Bassi was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really good. Really good performance from him. I loved that he was like... His pace, his strength. Um, Carl Anker, who is much, much more erudite than me, said he doesn't defend as much as just show people the way out. He just, like, ushers them off the pitch. He doesn't tackle. He just guides them away. It was really, really a classy defensive performance. Um, The players for Frankfurt that really stuck out to me, there was a winger. I just need to remember his name. Well, Kostic was, as always, incredible. Every time I see him play inevitably he gets an assist that guy how it like i'm still waiting for a team to come in and sign him like arsenal arteta if you're looking he could be a very very good signing he was outstanding again um and i, I don't know how to say this Nauf, knauf it's not knauf is it i want to say Nauf. Yeah. Nauf. he had some beautiful he like skillful moments where he absolutely spanned the rangers defense um i thought for rangers Aribo obviously getting the goal. I thought Kamara had a good game. Lundstrom was outstanding. There were some really, really good performances. Um, 
And I, I think, think Trapp from Frankfurt had a very good game. Mm. He, he he made the incredible save in extra time. Was it in extra time? It was right at the end me, of the yeah, game. That right? gave me that gave me strong De Gea peak De Gea versus Real Madrid vibes. Mm. Uh, just that save with your body on the line. I was just like, whoa! Talk about a crucial save. Like half of the cup belongs to that save, I believe. Undoubtedly, but we do have to say while we are praising some performances, um, the defending for both the goals was pretty terrible, especially yeah. from Frankfurt, right? So it's Tuta who completely slips, right? Um, yeah. and lets uh Aribo through for an easy, easy finish. He did well, like composed finish, put it away. Like, there's a lot to do there, it's not as simple yeah. as it looks. It was a great goal, and then for Rangers, I thought one player who did struggle was God's uh Goldson. He found himself getting caught out of position quite a lot. I think he found himself exposed quite a few times. And as the ball comes across the box, I think I think it's him who doesn't quite react quick enough. Um, I think he had a bit of a shaking out. So both the goals came from they could the defending could have been better. But I feel like both teams really genuinely went for it. Like it was hard committed performances i think rangers were definitely like not the favorites right i think they definitely were definitely not. like the they have less quality than frankfurt i would say um but they matched them for the entire 120 minutes um and rangers are a club that i i i struggle with because of the politics right i struggle with them um and i'm trying like but I really, really did want them to. I kind of wanted them to win it because I was like, for Scottish football, it would be, it would be huge, right? It's yeah. been a long, long time since the Scottish teams won a European trophy. Yeah, also, because then you would have gotten to see Liverpool Rangers or Real Madrid Rangers. Which Liverpool Rangers in a, in a Super Cup would be at spicy, spicy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, then as I was kind of watching the game, and I realised that Aaron Ramsey, or I remembered that Aaron Ramsey was on the bench, I was like, okay, Rangers have to win now because I want Ramsey to win the European trophy. Rangers have to win. Now I am fully invested. I was screaming at the at the screen at the beginning of extra time. Actually, towards the end of normal time, I was like, Gio, bring on Ramsey. He loves a cup final goal. He loves a cup final goal. He scored extra time winners. He scored late winners. Like, just bring him on. He's made for it. He brought him on a bit too late. I think managers need to learn at some point to not bring players on specifically for penalties. Yeah, it's just... Give them a bit of time to get onto the pitch. Because when Ramsey played, the, in the few minutes he, he did play, he managed to win a free kick, which I think Tavernier nearly scored. It was a really good free kick right towards the end. Ramsey won that free kick. So I think he was definitely getting settled into the game, but he wasn't. he didn't quite have enough time. I'm making a lot of excuses. It was a pretty terrible penalty. It was a yeah. bad penalty. Um, if you're going for the middle, just shoot it high. You've got to hit it a lot harder yeah. than that. You've yeah, got because yeah, yeah. Trap could just move his feet, saved it. For I was absolutely heartbroken that Ramsey was. And the thing is, the missus was kind of she was going to bed. And she was like, "Why are you watching this?" I was like, "Oh, Ramsey's going to take a penalty. I can't handle it if he misses it." And then he missed it. <laughs> and I was like, "Ah, oh, damn it!" Um, I love how Tiziana still asks you why you're watching. Why I mean, watching this one was a European <laughs> Cup final, but I'm sure she's caught you watching the second division of the Indian League a few times. Yeah. So I don't know why she's surprised. Sports on my phone has the Latvian Premier League, and during the middle of the day, when there's not much to watch, just stick a football game on. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was absolutely gutted that he missed it. Gutted that he missed it. Um, but... For Rangers, I think they did incredibly well to get as far as they did. Um, and I think the fans can still be very, very proud of this season and what they've achieved. Um, and it's I don't know how medal. much of a... 
It's a I don't know level. how much of a consolation it would be, and I imagine last night was very quiet afterwards. Um, but we have to say for Frankfurt, now there's going to be eight German teams in European competitions next year. That's nearly half the league. Like we need to like the Bundesliga gets talked a lot about, you know, it's a terrible league because only Bayern win it. Yes, only Bayern win it. But that doesn't mean the rest of the teams are terrible quality. I think we've talked about it before. A lot of the teams in the Bundesliga are bloody good teams. And Frankfurt are going to be the eighth team in Europe um, from Germany. And they're going in as a pot one team in the Champions League. So whoever gets them in their group is going to be very happy. Sorry, Ham- uh, Frankfurt, but they will be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, true, true, true. And I think next year, the Bundesliga, without a certain Robert Lewandowski, might get a bit more interesting. Uh, we will see. And just the final thing, all of Frankfurt's penalties also were incredible. Um, the last yeah, penalty perfect. as well, the way he smashed that into the top corner... Like all of their penalties were amazing. I think for a team to score all of all five of theirs, like there is really nothing more they can do, literally, right? And I think Rangers, it just comes down to an individual error. And unfortunately, it was Ramsey. And now the season's over. He's a lone player and he sods off back to Juventus where no one likes him. And very quickly, I because one of the worst things about running a podcast that talks about Italian football is having to deal with Italian opinions on Aaron Ramsey. Like now, I know I get too precious about him because I absolutely love him. He's an Arsenal legend, but the amount of slander he gets online because they just assume he's terrible. Yes, he was injured a lot. He broke both his legs at Arsenal, and Juventus still signed him. That's not Ramsey's fault, right? Yeah, no. And then he doesn't get played at all. He never has a constant run in the game. This doesn't mean he's terrible. It means that he made a bad choice going to Juventus. I think Arsenal should have offered him another contract and it still makes me angry that we didn't. And he's going back to terrain. We will see what the future holds for good old Aaron. We don't have that much time. We've got a pretty long interview that you guys will thoroughly enjoy because it was honestly great. But first, it's time to go to the National Leagues. It's going to be a scorching hot weekend across the Premier League and Serie A. Let's start for the Premier League. Everything to play for Rory, let's start from relegation. What have we got this weekend? Well, this is the first time in Premier League history that relegation, Europa League, Premier, uh, Europa League, Champions League, and the Premier League can all be settled on the last day. It's the first time. There is going to be a lot going on on the final round of, of fixtures. But all I can think is that all the things that we think are going to happen are going to happen. Um, so tonight we have a few... Premier League games. Um, We have Aston Villa taking on Burnley. Burnley need to win that game. We have Chelsea taking on Leicester City. That's a bit of a dead rubber, that one. And we have Everton taking on Crystal Palace. I know that Everton fans are bricking themselves about this game. If they don't win this game, they will find themselves massively in trouble as they are away to Arsenal this weekend. But down at the bottom... This weekend, again, Burnley faced Newcastle. Newcastle were outstanding against Arsenal. Genuinely an incredible performance. I think they're really, really finding their feet. I wouldn't expect Burnley to get much there. Um, We have Leeds United away to Brentford. Now, Leeds already need to hope that that results around them go their way. Um, Brentford, we've seen, they've not got much to play for, but we've seen them beat good teams. We've seen them put in very good performances. They are good at home. I don't know how hopeful Leeds are going to be about that. And then, as I said, Everton do go away to Arsenal. So the relegation battle is going to be 
tense. I think that's the area of the table where we're going to see things move around the most. I think, I don't know about you, Tommy, but I love a last match day of the season when during the game they have to show the table. It's like the table as it stands. I love that. I think we're going to see the relegation teams just move and move constantly. I think that's where we're going to see a lot of movement. It should be pretty exciting. But Everton just need to win tonight. But as we know, they only turn up against the big teams. I don't know. Crystal Palace are bang in the middle. Do you think they count as a big a big game or not? I don't. I mean, every game is massive for Everton right now. So if they step up in the big occasions, if this is not a big occasion, I don't really know what it is. But of course, guys, just to clarify, of course, we're talking about tonight as in the Thursday, the day that we're recording. You will already know the result by the time you are listening to this. But yeah, I do love to see the table go up, switch and everything. Kind of nerve-wracking if you're a football player. I think it would be tough to keep your concentration knowing that sometimes they just show the result of the other game. But, mm. uh, yeah, definitely a lot of fun. So, should also, we do the relegation battle in Italy? Yeah, let's do that. Well, in Italy, there are only two teams that at this point are fighting for survival with uh, Venezia and Genoa. Yes, already mm. relegated. It's only between the Cagliari and the Spezia since Sampdoria convincingly win, won last weekend 4-0 against uh, Fiorentina. Spezia also won a crucial game against Udinese. They came back and now they're safe. So it's only between Salernitana at 31 points and Cagliari at 29. They're going to play at 9 p.m. on uh, Sunday night. Cagliari have an away game at Venezia and all they need to do is win. They must win. They cannot draw nor anything. They must win against Venezia and hope that Salernitana lose. Now, it's a similar situation to Inter Milan, basically. Um, This is everything that needs to happen. On the other hand, Salernitana are playing at home. The stadium is going to be packed. There was a statement from the mayor of the city of Salerno asking the the citizens to show the colors of the club during the, all the way throughout the end of the week just wow. to show support to the club the stadium is going to be packed and they can either win or draw against Udinese at home on the last match day of the season this again is on Sunday night at 9 p.m. Rory I believe it's time for you to talk a little bit about top 4 what needs to happen there what happened on Monday night, bud. The most predictable thing ever. I just knew. I th- I'm pretty sure I said we're, yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah, done you did. now. Like, I think we were absolutely awful. There was nothing positive about our performance. Um, the most positive thing in the evening was Granite Xhaka's bloody post-match conference where he just went for everyone and was like, if you're not ready, just stay at home and sit on the bench. Like, because if you've not got the balls to play, then you shouldn't be here. And I think... What was great about that was that he wasn't being specific about anyone and he could well have been about going on about himself. Like, I think he was just talking about the mood in the changing room. It's good that a player comes out and is honest rather than just, you know, oh, yeah, you win some, you lose some, you know, we get one game at a time, etc., etc. He genuinely said what he thought. Um, so basically now, the, he thought that, that we, Arsenal shouldn't have taken the pitch. They shouldn't have played the game because nobody was feeling it. Is that what, what Well, that's what we did against is? Tottenham the first time, eh? Uh, yeah. No, I think, I think um, people should have been ready, I think was the message, right? You need to be ready for these games, especially after the Tottenham game. And I think we 
the word like a lot of people are saying we've bottled it. We have bottled it. We were six points clear with a game in hand, and I think it's definitely yeah, it's a bottle job. But yeah. then people have said <laughs> we've we've underachieved now, and it's a disaster. Now, what I would say is it can be a bottle job and a disappointment, right? I think it's disappointing because of the the position we found ourselves in. Now we're disappointed. Whereas at the beginning of this season, and I keep saying it, but everyone said we were going to be 8th, ninth, 10th. We were going to be nowhere near Europe. And what we've done, we've taken a team with no strikers, as in Lacazette has two goals this year. Eddie Nketiah has three, maybe. We've taken a team with Cedric at right back for most of the season. Elneny in central midfield. Um, Tavares at left back, like these are all our backup players, and we've got that team to within one point of the Champions League. Now, this is me trying to be positive, but but I think there is a point to it. I think like the the Tottenham squad, they've got two world class players up front in Kane and Son. That's the difference between them and us. That those two players are the difference. That's it. If we've got two decent strikers, we match them completely, and I think. The job that Arteta has done with the the squad and the injuries we've had is actually all right. Now, what he did do wrong was January. The fact we didn't sign anyone in January, that was a big gamble. Again, I said it at the time, it was a huge gamble. It's backfired massively. And the thing, even the, the Arsenal fans at the time were saying, why are we giving away players? We weren't signing players, but we let main uh, Maitland-Niles go out on loan. We let Balogun go out on loan. Um, and these are all players that they could have come in and covered when other players weren't doing well. Like Cedric was in bad form and we had no choice but to play him, right? Lacazette was in bad form. We didn't have really any other choice except Nketiah. Balogun was unproven, but it's another body. It's another option, right? And I think Arteta the gamble in January did not pay off. But I think he didn't want to do business for the sake of it and overspend on players that he wasn't sure about. And this short-term sacrifice could mean that we're still able to spend big this summer. Whereas if we'd spent in January on players that we weren't quite sure about, maybe this summer we have to repair damage again or we can't go out and buy the players we want. So I think from eighth to Europa League is still progress. The young players we've got are still great young players. Um, we just need to improve our depth because we've got zero depth. Partey and, and Tierney being out injured has killed us. And, and I think the mentality too, man. The mentality I think needs to... I, I After so many years of missing out on Champions League, after so many years of not being where you are supposed to be, where you want to be, I think that it really f- filters through the club this sort of... Uh, fear factor that takes time to be overcome and i feel like it's the fear factor that crippled inter for a very long time yeah 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 oh yeah it took a decade to overcome that even after we won the champions league like we knew that that was a one-off we ended Mm -hmm. that cycle and then it was just like oh shit is it gonna be like between 1990 and 2006 (laughs) now all over again and man it takes it takes time it takes courage and it takes also a little bit of luck to because at the end, all it takes is one massive game where, like, mm-hmm. a, a final like a game that you win, and then you're like, right, we're fucking back, yeah. and now we're never gonna take take that step back. No, exactly, exactly. And I think um, 
just the last point, the part of the mentality, you're absolutely right. And this is what Arteta is trying to change and is changing is the culture of the club, the mentality around the club. And we do have to remember, I feel like other fans must be laughing at how often Arsenal fans are saying it, but we do have the youngest squad in the Premier League. <laughs> like mentality is going to be a problem. They don't have the experience. They don't have that like they don't have the experience to fall back on. They are just like, is this how we do it? I hope this is how we do it. Um, so I think that is a point that needs to be kind of um, mentioned just one more time. We have the youngest squad in the league and we've managed to get it within one point of the Champions League. And it's enough, not over yet. It's enough not over with the yet. sugar coating. I was about to say enough with the sugar coating. There is still a chance. You said it in the intro. Arsenal and Tottenham now fighting for one spot in the Champions League, what is going down this weekend, Rory? We need a Lasagna Gate 2.0. So we've called in Arsene Wenger. He is going to be in Norfolk as the chef in the Tottenham Team Hotel, I believe, so that he can give them another dose of lasagna, meaning that they will screw it up. That is our only hope, really. Um, They go to Norwich. Now, Norwich and Timu Puki have come out and said, we do not want to finish bottom. We want to go out with a fight. We want to show that, you know, progress. We got relegated, but this time we weren't bottom, right? So um, they have something to play for. And if there's any team that can bottle something like this, it is Tottenham. But that being said, I fully expect it to be 3-0 Spurs within about 15 minutes. I'm I'm honestly expecting Son to score. I'm going to say three minutes in, and then there's going to be game over. Um, Arsenal have Everton at home. <laughs> if if Everton are fighting for survival, um, I don't think we win that game. And I think for us to start the season with three losses and end the season with three losses would be very, very irritating. Um, because it would hint that there wasn't much progress. Um, I think we would. I don't expect us to do well against Everton ultimately. So all we've got to do is hope, hope and pray that Norwich beat Tottenham, and then actually hope that our players turn up, because our last two performances have been awful, awful. And I've just noticed this, but there is also another bit of a fight between West Ham Mm -hmm. and Manchester United for the last Europa League spot. West Ham are currently sitting in seventh with the 56 points in Conference League territory. Manchester United are sixth with 58 in Europa League territory. If United lose the game away at Palace and West Ham win the game away at Brighton, the Hammers will be in the Europa League again. Otherwise, it's going to be the other way around, correct? It is, exactly. Well, the last game, Man United did beat Palace at home 1-0, but that is not going to be an easy game. I think Vieira is going to have a little bit of a... You know, he's really going to want to beat United. For West Ham, they've had a great season. They've had a fantastic season. Um, Obviously, their run to the Europa League was the Europa League semifinals was amazing. I think they deserve European football again next year. But that being said, I think most West Ham fans would take the Conference League as well. I think they'd be pretty happy with that. I was talking to a friend of the show, Tom, and he said, you know, it's just more European away days. You just get to go to more cities and see more teams. And it's still a great opportunity. And I think this is something about you. To, to bottle glint, yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, the Arctic Circle, why not? What, yeah, well, what well, other well. reason are you going to have to go there, right? I think, um, so I think for West Ham, obviously they prefer Europa League, but I think they wouldn't be too disappointed if they got Conference League. It's still been a great season for them. But it is something else that just needs settling there. Um, 
Yeah, Tottenham could finish above Chelsea, depending on how their result go, how their game goes tonight against Leicester, um, and if they win. But the top four is basically settled, unless Tottenham stack it and Arsenal win. And we've got into the big moment <sighs> on Sunday at 6 p.m. Central European time. Everything to fight for in Serie A. Is this the first time that such? A co- such event happens of course it is not it has happened quite a few times before some more memorable than others some way less memorable than others for inter milan fans we start from thank you by the way to the instagram page at calciatori brutti ugly footballers they had this little slideshow 1998 1999 on may 23rd ac milan win 2-1 on the last match day against perugia and they and the the league plus one from Lazio winning it. This one is a very famous one. Season 1999-2000. Lazio win the Scudetto, fueled by a certain Simone Inzaghi, now Inter manager, who scored a crucial goal in that game. Uh, And they overtake Juventus in the standings. They were behind. Juventus were playing over in Perugia. I mentioned it in our latest pod. A certain Collina was the referee. The game oh. was interrupted due to a heavy rain. But then after, a, I think, a, a one-hour interruption, Collina walked again on the pitch and it was just like, this game has got to go through. Let's go. And Perugia ended up winning. Then season 2000, 2001. So these are back-to-back-to-back seasons, basically. Three seasons consecutive decided on the last match day. Uh, in 2001, Roma, with two points of advantage over Juventus, they win 3-1 against Parma and they become Italian champions. The following year, so this is a back-to-back-to-back-to-back, is the famous one, Inter Milan. They just have to win away at Lazio. They manage to lose 4-2 and Juventus end up winning the league. Very famous video of Antonio Conte, still salty from the previous year, being forced back into the locker room by Lilian Turam as he's screaming to the camera, I am coming, I am coming so hard right now. And Lilian Turam, way more composed, is just like, Antonio, shut the fuck up, let's go back into the locker room and celebrate. Then we had, of course, 2007-2008, Inter Milan won the league, they were top of the league. Roma were just one point behind, but then at the first half, Roma were winning, then uh, Inter Milan decided to play Ibrahimovic at the end of the game in Parma. He scored a brace, Inter win the title. I remember celebrating that as if it was yesterday. Mm. And now, ladies and gentlemen, this is a new season. It's 2022. For Inter to win the league, only one thing needs to happen. Inter win at home against Sampdoria and AC Milan lose away at Sassuolo. Any other combination would favor the Rossoneri. So the Rossoneri, they can either draw, they can win with a scruffy win. It's not important. Goals are not important, nothing. If we finish head-to-head, AC Milan, they've got the, the advantage of the one derby that they won this season in Serie A. The other one was a draw, and so they would win the title. Where am I going to be when all of this happens? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I've thought about it for a long time. And then in the end, I was just like, you know what? I cannot be in the city. I cannot be in the city because it would be way too stressful and I don't want to turn off the intergame and just hear AC Milan fans honking. So this weekend, I'm going down to Marche, the region where I grew up, and I've calculated exactly what I'm going to do. Hear me out, Rory. I've said it way 
many times, way too many times in the pod before, but I find it very fascinating to listening to the football on the radio. So that's mm. what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to leave Marke at around the 4.30 p.m. I've calculated everything. It means that by the time the games are over, I will be just at the doors of the city of Milan. So I will listen to the game on the radio. This is also a tribute to my grandfather who passed on the passion for football to me. He was a radio broadcaster. So I hope that up there, I know that deep down he was an Inter Milan fan. He will be guiding the players. I will be listening on the radio. If Inter Milan are crowned the champions, I'm going straight to Piazza Duomo. Just on the footage that that will circle around the social media, just look for a green Renault Clio just zooming (laughs) in the middle of Piazza del Duomo. That's going to be me. If Inter Milan don't win and AC Milan are crowned the champions, well, I'll just chill outside of Milan until the celebrations are over. I'm going to go for a nice dinner in the countryside, pretending that nothing has happened. I'm going to drink some wine, then I'm going to drive back. Turn your phone off. Turn your phone off. That's the big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a few few groups that I needed to ban myself, myself from. But, ladies and gentlemen, what can I say? Look, just like Roy was saying about Arsenal, if Inter Milan don't win this title... I mean, at this point, I've kind of already come to terms with it. If we don't win this title, it's not a disgrace. It's not it, It's not a tragedy. We've won two titles this year already, mm-hmm. both against yeah, Juventus, yeah. our big-time rivals. We've had a pretty good decision. Overall, we went to the round of 16 of the Champions League. We were the only team able to defeat Liverpool at Anfield. So there are a lot of positive takeaways. We knew, honestly... I don't know how many people would have expected Inter to be fighting for the title with Lukaku, Hakimi, Eriksen, and Conte gone. I repeat, Lukaku, Hakimi, Eriksen, and Conte. These were four very crucial players at Inter last year. We are up there. We just have to win against Sampdoria. And if we don't, like, I I want to win. Like, even if AC Milan win, we need to finish strong with a fucking win. And it needs to be a banger of a win. Like, 4-0 in front of our You did everything you could. That's all you can ask, right? Exactly. For what concerns AC Milan, look, I will say it right now, and I will repeat it. It's the first time that I find myself so impartial talking about this team. They've had an incredible season. They are Mm -hmm. not the best. They are not the most good-looking team in Italy, but they've found their form somehow, some way. They've lost the lead. They've recovered it. They've had some very controversial refereeing decisions against them. There is a referee coming on soon. There is no conspiracy, guys. (laughs) Mistakes in football, they happen all the time. There is no way that the Italian Football Association is favoring Inter. Why Italians that are so obsessed with Italy-owned clubs, why would they favor a Chinese property that they've shed so much shade on for all this time? There is no conspiracy. You've just had a very good season. Rafael Leao, banger of a player. They've had a lot of players have breakout seasons. Tonali has gone from like a lot of like a very average season last year and people going... Did they make a mistake signing him to becoming one of the best midfielders in the prem in uh, Serie A? Um, you're right. Leao has been unbelievable. I think Tamori again. Kalulu has come in for injury and been yeah. outstanding. Yeah, and uh, the la- the biggest name possibly, Mike Menyan. What an incredible mm-hmm. season! He's yeah. definitely one gonna win a goalkeeper uh, Serie A goalkeeper of the season. Um, he's been keeping not Andanovic, no, no, not Andanovic. <laughs> he's been, not even Radu. That's a surprising yeah. one. Yeah, one game, one. God damn it! <laughs> damn it! I shouldn't it have brought a... it up. I shouldn't have brought it up. But look, can I say one thing? Honestly, I'm seeing. I was I was hanging out with a few AC Milan fans last night. 
and I did not want to talk about Sunday. So I was yeah, picturing if we had won in Bologna, and right, well, we would be at home with all of our supporters yeah, playing yeah, Sampdoria yeah. that have already escaped the relegation. But still, they are nervous. So and now that I've praised AC Milan, oh, another person that I need to praise is Maldini because he's been doing incredibly Oof, on the job. transfer market. Yeah. They've got an, a total wage bill of $100 million, um, the, And the they've just announced they're signing Divock Origi. Boom. Yeah. And possibly Renato Sanchez as well. Look, before I say what I hope happens, um, I just want to give a little uh, a little prediction for next season. Keep your eyes on Italian teams in the Champions League. I think next year is going to be a break, breakout season of Italian clubs in the Champions League. And it's going to feel like the good old days of the early 2000s when there were always the three Italian teams at the round of 16. We will see. What do I personally hope will happen? I think we I'm, know what you hope will happen. No, 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 no. I'm going to give you the detail. I'm going to give you the detail. Um, I'm going to be driving, and uh, the Inter Milan game is over. Um, as it's been over for for one minute. You know, we've won four 0 against Abdaria. and as I'm driving, it's one one. AC Milan Sassuolo. God damn it, one one. They're winning the league, and in the end, you hear the broadcaster. He goes, "There might still be something in here, Scamacca." Just like the Aguero commentary yes. brought over his yeah. swallow with the Scamacca or Raspadori. They are both kind of interfans. They said it in interviews before. They said they, they want to finish the season 10th. They say that they're not going to be whipping boys of any sort. They have the reputation of the giant killers mm-hmm. this season. And it's not an easy game. The, it is not an easy game. The only thing is that the, the stadium is all going to be red and black for AC Milan. So I, I am praying that this happens. <laughs> that doesn't help. Yeah. I will make sure that if that happens, I pull over the quickest I can from in the motorway so that I don't just crash in the <laughs> in front but yeah this is it it all goes down to the very end and one last thing that i want to say before we go to the head-to-head between manchester city and liverpool is that regardless of how it goes i am very very happy that the scudetto is staying in the city of milan i'm happy that this big rivalry is back is one of the most well-known football rivalries mm. in the world I grew up with it, uh, and recently I haven't been able to exchange much banter with my AC Milan fans. Now I can, and it's a lot of fun. So go Inter. I'm crossing my fingers, my legs, my toes, everything I can. What have we got in England, Roy? It's going to be a tough one too. It's. I, I think this is going to be where we see zero movement. <laughs> I think this is going to be where we see no movement. We have Manchester City. They are going to... No, they are hosting Aston Villa. So all the games kick off at 4 p.m. in the UK on Sunday. They'll be hosting Aston Villa. Now, the last time Aston Villa beat Manchester City was all the way back in 2013. Uh, They beat Manchester City 3-2. Andy Vyman getting the winner. Dzeko and Yaya Torre scoring for Man City. So something that has not happened for a very long time. But, you know, as we said in our intro, stranger things have happened. Elsewhere, Liverpool, they are hosting Wolves. Um, Wolves, again, had a really very good season. Kind of died off in 2022, unfortunately. They're currently eighth, just outside the European places. But definitely not an easy team. I think what we're going to see here is Man City 
it's going to be another. I think it's going to be another one where Man City are just going to roll them over. I think it's going to be like five six nil. It'll be. It's all building like Sky Sports are building it up to like title day decider, and it's like eh, I can't see it. I can't see it. I just think City at this point are so cold. Um. They'll just get it done. But Liverpool fans will be hoping. You know, we have to live in hope. Maybe, maybe Steven Gerrard for his own yeah, team. I, I was going to say. Maybe he also, finally... Coutinho on the pitch. Yeah. Maybe they finally secure that Premier League trophy for Liverpool that they both missed out on under Brendan Rodgers. Maybe this is his moment of redemption. You know that he's going to want it. Like, Steven Gerrard's definitely going to want it. Coutinho late winner? That would be That would be quite nice. I think that would be quite, like narrative we love a bit of narrative right every time every time liverpool has eaten point like nibbled points from manchester city when manchester city had to play they would always go up within the first five minutes and they win very they won very comfortably yeah i don't think i don't think it's gonna happen but hey you know football why do we love it because anything can happen at all times exactly i am gonna say bernardo silva hat trick there you go there we go. Chris Hamilton, friend of the pod, will be happy to know since he supports the other team. But ladies and gentlemen, we are done with our preview. I mean, with our Euro review. And now it's time for our weekly topic. For the first time in two seasons, we've got a referee on. And it's not just any referee. His name is Mark. You say the last name. I said it wrong on the pod. Halsey. Halsey. Mark Halsey. Did somebody get a red card during the interview? Yes. Do you want to see that moment? Yes. Then go on YouTube because the interview is going to be up there as well. He's been a great guest. I have nothing more to say. Just see you on the other side and enjoy the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, we've gotten to our last, possibly last, interview of the season. Throughout these two seasons, we've interviewed people from every corner of the football world. We've interviewed footballers, managers, players, which is the same as footballers, authors, journalists. But this is the first time ever that we get to interview one of the most controversial but fundamental figures in the footballing world. We're talking about a referee and not any referee. Today here with us is Mark Hasley, hailing from Spain. How are you doing today, Mark? I'm fine. And that's the first yellow card of the night. (laughs) what did they get a yellow card for Hasley it's Halsey Mark Halsey yeah Halsey sorry you're on a red you could be on a red card soon I'm telling you (laughs) all right all right I'll mute myself very soon of course here with us is also my co-host Rory how are you doing Rory all right I'm excited about the interview it was going to be interesting to see the referee's point of view. I think a lot of the time you are the focus of the abuse, of the controversy, of the anger from fans. So it'll be interesting to see how you deal with that and maybe what fans can do to maybe be a bit better. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Ready to rock and roll, my friend. I wish I wish I had a whistle so we could actually <laughs> kick it off. But so, Mark, first things first, how... Does one become a referee? Does it start, in your experience, does it start with the love for football? Does it start with the ideal of the refereeing, like managing everything during the game? What was the drive to get to where you got? Um, well, to be honest with you, I never, ever wanted to be a referee because, I, I, I mean, I was, I, was a, I was a player. I was a goalkeeper. I played, you know, semi-professional football for a number of, number of years. Um, and, I mean, my brother now is a manager of an on-league club. 
called Where Where FC. Um, and it was a friend of mine that like I used to I used to play football Sunday Sunday morning football back in the day. It's, you know, Sunday morning football was quite was quite strong in the Welling Hatfield Sunday League. And I, I, I played in goal as a sixteen year old with a with a friend um, whose, whose, whose team it was, and he was a centre half. Um, and he later on became a referee, um, poacher turned gamekeeper, because playing behind him, he was one of the most dirtiest players I'd ever played with. Because when the referee's back was turned, he was elbowing them, punching them, kicking them, and he and he he, he quit playing football and uh, and uh, become a referee. And um, I think what it was is that I love me cricket as well. Uh, I don't know if you Italians know about cricket, but uh, no, you don't. But uh, Rory yeah, has tried yeah. to explain me the rules a number of times. I've tried multiple times. It just doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work. never, never really <laughs> yeah. stuck to me. Well, my, my obviously my good friend Russell at the time, obviously he sadly passed away due to you know COVID and and, and whatever. Um, he's he's house backed onto our cricket pitch because when the football season finished, I went straight into playing cricket for a nice. team called Hatfield Hyde in the Hearts Select Coast um, League. And every time, yeah, you know, you'd walk around as you'd walk around the boundary, and you'd be putting the world to rights and with your teammates. And Russell would be waiting in his garden for me to come round and try and persuade me to become a referee. And I just said to I just said to Russell, listen, I ain't, I'm not interested. I don't want to be a referee. I, I just don't want. To, well, I'm not going to tell you what I said to him because obviously it's a family show. Um, but I said a few choice, choice words to him, and, and then that was it. But all that summary kept on, and he kept on, and he kept on at me. So finally, I thought about it because I was I was falling out of love with with, with the game to be to be honest. Um, and then I sort of I think come sort of uh, end of July August time, I sat down and thought about it, thinking what you know what do I want to do with um, with me, with my with my career? I, was, I think I was about twenty eight. I'd had a, a couple of um, bad injuries with with shoulder injuries and leg injuries, and and I and I just thought about it. I thought what do I want to do when I finish? Do I want to go into coaching, managing, or what do I want to do? And I thought you know what. I might I might become a referee. What Russell was been on at me for for me mm-hmm. for, for for all all summer, um, and I and I went back to Russell. Uh, he, he called me one one Saturday afternoon and said, "What do you think?" And I said, oh, "Listen, I'll tell you what, because you had to do an eight week back in the day. You had to do an eight week course and then you had your test." So I turned around and said to Russell, "I said, listen, look, I'll tell you what I do. I said I'm not doing eight week an eight week course. I, I'm not doing that. I said, but if I can read the laws of the game and then do take an exam." We'll see how we go from there. So he, he got permission for me to do that. Read the laws of the game, took the exam, and and never looked back. Nice. So you start, said a very start, interesting. So I started start refereeing in the Welling Hatfield Sunday League and the Hearts County League, but at the same time I was still playing as well. I was refereeing Sundays and still helping out. You know, playing at Welling Garden City at the time, and then a time come where. You know, I, I thought I was enjoying it on a sun on a Sunday morning. You know, if I wanted, if I want to progress, then I've got to give up playing Saturdays. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I did. I you know I, I gave up playing Saturdays and refereed in the Hearts County Reserve League, and then obviously was an assistant referee on the Premier on the Premier Division of the Hearts County League. So you said a very interesting thing. You said that you were falling out of love with the game. Can we know the reasons why you were falling out of love with ah. football? Well, I, ju- I just think, yeah, I, I just think at the time, yeah, with, with, with me injuries and um, and commitments and, and training and things, I weren't, things weren't going well for me. I wasn't playing very well and, was, you know, and, and, and things got on top of each other. And I just, and I, I just thought to myself, Do you know what? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a go. And, and the, other, the other thing I wanted to ask you is from a player moving into refereeing, did it feel like 
joining the dark side? Is it why it took you so long well, to decide to finally be a referee? Well, I mean, I, was, I mean, I, I had quite a few referees um, in non-league. That I, you know, there was a, one or two good referees, and I thought, you know, I, I, I sort of liked the referees that engaged with you and had a laugh with you and smiled mm-hmm. with you. But you know, they were firm but fair, um, and I sort of. I sort of took that in, in into when I went when I was become a referee. And listen, just because you've played the game, it doesn't mean to say you're going to be a good referee. You still mm. got to work it. You still got to work at your fitness. And you know, I carried on training with my local club. You know, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And sometimes I, I helped them out midweek when they were short. I still played midweek on a Tuesday night um, when perhaps they were they they were short of a, of a goalkeeper and. But you know, I had to I had to be careful because in those back in the day, if you were sent off um, or you know cautioned um, and got suspended, uh, you were also suspended from refereeing, not just from playing. And I you used to get a, a letter from your Hearts County or your county, Hearts County FA as it was then. If you got cautioned, may I remind you that you are a qualified referee? Can you, you know, <laughs> you should know better, right? You should know. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, I better be, I better be careful here. I better not get sent <laughs> off, otherwise I will be in trouble. <laughs> But you said then that you liked the referees that were able to have a conversation with the players and like kind of build a rapport with them. Do you think that's one of the most important skills that a referee needs to have? And do you think it's something that we're seeing less of now or more of now? What do you think? I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, you know, refereeing is about managing the game, managing the players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I train, you know, with, with professional football players and a professional club at Bolt Wanderers and, um, and, it, and and what they do on the on the training pitch relates exactly to a to a match day, and it's about I mean play I mean referees think that um, they should get the respect um, as soon as they walk out on that mm-hmm. field of play, as soon as they walk on that field of play. That's not the case. You've got to earn that respect. Mm-hmm. You earn that respect by your accuracy, the decision making, the way you treat the players, the way you talk to players, not too not over aggressive. Your awareness of what's going on around you, you know, picking up little things and talking to players as the game's going on and telling them, you're seeing this, you're seeing that, don't do that, don't do this. Yeah, listen, you've got your advantage. I know what's going on, I've seen it, I'll have a word in a minute. And when, you know, and you're always talking to the players mm-hmm. all the time. That's what that's what refereeing at the top level, refereeing at any level. I mean, I, 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 I took that right away through from when I started, right away up to, you know, to the FIFA level when I was refereeing international because most players speak English, most players understand what you're saying. And so, yeah, I, I think that's, that, that, that's for me is, and it's, and, and the, the number one, number one thing is it's not just about your fitness and your anticipation of play and reading the game and, 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 and thinking what the players are thinking, because that's what, and you know, that that's, and it's, it's engaging with them and it's managing them. That's, that is what is refereeing is all about today. And mm-hmm. yeah, well, listen, we, we see uh, today all over, we see, you know, far too many uh, cheap cautions, you know, in, okay. in all the leagues um, you know, where players can manage certain situations and not just bring out the yellow card, you know, willy nilly. And we see that far too often where they, it's, you know, a careless challenge is a, a free kick and nothing else. A reckless challenge is a free kick and a caution. A challenge that endangers the player's safety with excessive force or brutality has to be sanctioned with a red card. Now, mm-hmm. there are times when you cannot manage. You have to do what you have to do. But when you get those those careless challenges, that's free kick, nothing else. But when you get those, those sort of challenges, careless, stroke reckless, you can manage them. You mm-hmm. can manage them. 
Um, and you've got and, and and that's what makes a good referee managing that game. And that's what that's 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 the fundamental of of refereeing at all, at all levels. You know, because you're refereeing the same players week in week out. What at any level you, you see the players so many times through the season, whether you're in 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 non-league or you're in professional football, and they they know you. They get they they know players know when they got a weak referee. Mm-hmm. They know when they got a weak, weak referee. Mark, I feel sorry for you because now that we've got your number, we're just going to message you so much asking you, what do you <laughs> what think you, about yeah. this red card? <laughs> yeah. Was hey. my team robbed for this? Please, hey. have, come on the hey. pod and have a say. You know? Hey, there's no problem with that, pal, but there'll be an invoice in the post. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, honestly, about refereeing, we're going to get to that. Mm-hmm. We, we kind of want to backtrack your story a little bit first. We're going to get to that, but I have so many questions of things that happen in game and I watch football almost every day of my life and there are still situations in which I'm like what happened mm-hmm. luckily I found a very good Instagram page run by a few Italians a few Italian referees I want to say probably minor leagues and they take it upon themselves to really analyze the most controversial situations in every match day mm-hmm. and they screenshot the rules of the game that they follow no, uh, and everything I, 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 and it's me, very yeah. nice what they do That could be a second yellow there. It's the laws of the game, not the rules. Okay? <laughs> hey, yeah. I'm done. I'm done, guys. <laughs> Is this a caution? Is this after the yellow? Second can you yellow, caution? Mate, you're done, mate. Back in. <laughs> this was an orange. Let's say it was an orange. <laughs> But look, so you, you, you came from Sunday football pretty much. And then eventually, I mean, we were looking at your stats. I think that the total of the games you refereed in professional football is slightly south of a thousand, I want to say. And you've, you've had a lot of games in the Premier League. And how does it feel to get to that level? How do you manage the stress walking into a stadium packed with people knowing that at some point everybody's eyes are going to be on you when you draw that card from your pocket? It's, it, it, it's, just, it's just another game with different surrounds, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's, it's, just an, you know, it's just another game. I mean... Listen, when I listen, it's it was fantastic to referee at any level, and you know whether I refereed in the non-league or in in League One, League Two, Championship, the Premier League, I treated every game the same. Yeah, every game the same because normally when you walked out at League One or League Two grounds, you didn't want to get Premier League. You're having a laugh, <laughs> Premier League. You're having a laugh. But no, it was. It, I mean, it was. It, you, you never thought about that. Um, yes, I was always nervous, but mm. as soon as I blew that whistle. To start the game, that was it. You, you're straight into it. You're, you're focused, and you don't really hear what the crowd are saying because you're, you're absolutely you're, you're focused, and you just cannot switch off as a referee. The moment you switch off, then bang, you're going to make a mistake. And you know, as soon as you got into that first whistle, that first decision, and, and you know it's correct, you know it's it's a good decision. Your stature and your confidence, whatever you do in life, is all about confidence. And refereeing is no different. It's all about confidence. You've got that confidence. You can walk on water when you're out on, on, on that pitch. So then it, it kind of feels like you hear professional footballers say that they want to focus on their first touch of the game. And if they have a good first touch, then they know from there they can go on for a good performance. But if they have a yeah. bad touch, maybe they start worrying. If you know you've made a mistake during the game, it, it does that, like personally with you, did that sit in your mind? Were you thinking about that? Or was it just right? Concentrate well, on the next no, one. I'll think about it when the final whistle's gone. No. I mean, the, the, the best referees, you know, everyone makes mistakes during the game, mm-hmm. whether it's a throw in a corner or you miss a foul, you know. 
you know, like we saw last night in the Southampton Liverpool game. But um, it, it it does play, if it, if it's a little like a little free kick like like, you, 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 like that, you, you sort of tend not to worry. You just think, yeah. well, you get on with it, and you think you know, if you. But if you're constantly making sort of one the first what a little one in the first five or ten minutes, you sort of you, you get on with it. But then you start you you think you know when you're making a few mistakes because the players the players are telling you the players are telling you and. You think, But oh, aren't okay. they telling you anyways? Even if you haven't made a mistake, that's my question. Like, oh yeah, they, usually... they, they listen. Play, players, player, players are always at you. They would do what they can to get what they can out of out of out of you. And you, and it's all about being mentally tough, mentally strong. And listen, if you make, if you know, if you make a, uh, say you give a penalty or you give a red card, and you, and then you sometimes for the next couple of minutes you are thinking about it. You think, oh, I hope I've got that right. I hope I've got this right. But this is before VAR. So mm-hmm. you know, I, I I refereed pro you know before VR came 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 on, on the scene. So, but now it's a lot easier because if you know if you make a mistake, you've got VAR to come and back you up. But mm-hmm. yeah, you 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 would always hope you come out of the game unscathed because you had you had that you had that long drive home on your own, thinking about the game and hoping that you didn't make you know a mistake and you got the big decisions correct. Since you've mentioned the acronym of the devil, I've got to ask you: Is it really easier with VAR? Because I feel like at it complicates times... everything, right? I feel like it complicates. Well, it's. I think if it's interpreted correctly, it mm-hmm. shouldn't be a problem. But we're seeing. I mean, especially in the Premier League. Obviously, I don't see much of the Italian league, but in in the Premier League, we're seeing so many inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, surrounding decisions with not so much offsides because they're 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 a matter of fact. Um, you're either off or you're on. But we do, we have you know at the start of the season. I know the PGML said that if it's really really tight a toe now, we're gonna we're gonna be seeing those as goals. But we're, that hasn't quite worked out like that, has it? Um, mm. But I, I think I think we've seen many inconsistencies with 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 challenges, serious foul play challenges, and and penalties and handballs. Well, we've actually, you know, but what we've got to realize is VAR is there for the absolute howler. Mm. It's not there for subjective decisions, and we have seen um, incidents re-refereed by VAR, and that's not what it's there for. Yeah, well, they say it was always meant to be clear and obvious errors, right? And it feels like it's used for everything now. But we had a question about this from the Hopeless Wanderer pod, saying interpretations of laws like handball and offside seem to change year on year. Does this need yeah. clarifying? To ensure that these aren't constantly changing, and is there a problem in clarity? In is there a problem in just clarifying the rules? Because I feel like handballs one match is given and then isn't the next. Like how yeah. how can they deal with that? Well, I, I think we need to get. I think we need to go back to the, to, to the, the old law. I mean, remember handball has got to be deliberate. It's got to mm-hmm. be a deliberate act. It's got to be a deliberate arm, deliberate movement of the arm yeah. and to the ball. And also, obviously, they brought this in an unnatural position, un- unnatural. Um, what's unnatural? <laughs> and, and making yourself bigger. Now, yeah. if we look at, um, I don't know if you saw the Ashley Barnes handball at, um, at Tottenham. Yeah. Now, has that bit, and Kevin Friend, the referee, was in a fantastic position. He can see everything. He's seen he's brushed his arm. But when you're rushing to block a ball, your arm's going to be up. It's yeah, going to be yeah, that. Yeah. So that is a natural position. That's your balance. Mm. You know, he didn't move his arm towards the ball. So some will say that's handball. Some will say it wasn't. So it wasn't deliberately or he wasn't deliberately making himself bigger. So that's subjective. So is mm. that a clear and obvious error? 
by Kevin Friend. He's there. But we know in England, once they go to the monitor, yeah, they're going to change gotta them. Go, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They've got to go with VAR. That's what they're yeah. told. That's not yeah. what the, the IFAB protocol says, but mm. that's what they told in, 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 in the Premier League. They have to go. So, yeah, if you, if you look at that, should, should the VAR have got involved in that incident? For me, it's, one, it's, it's difficult. It is difficult. But for me, I think on that one, I think if it had VAR not recommended review, I don't think anybody would have, would have complained about, about the, the not to, to all the penalty. No, completely, completely. And do you, so why is it, do you think they say that they have to go with the VAR decision? Because does, doesn't it then take away some authority from the referee? Does it well, take that, away some responsibility from the ref? Like, why do you think they've, they've said that? Well, that's, I mean, I think that's what they that's what I believe they've been told, or I've been told what they've, they've been told to by the, by their management. So you, you go with what you met, you know, you work mm-hmm. for, you work for the, you know, obviously the PGML and the, if the management, you, you go with what your manager says. If the manager says, right, you, you know, if you're called over to that screen, you go with what the, with the VAR is telling you. Mm-hmm. You know what, there was a, you said you don't follow much of the Italian league. I'm going to be super impartial in here. There was a, a, an absolute howler of a decision in Italian football this year. So there is this player for AC Milan. They're drawing the game against a way smaller team towards the end of the game. Uh, there is a foul at the edge of the box in favor of an AC Milan player, but the ball accidentally gets to another AC Milan player in the box. And so the referee should have played the advantage, the advantage, sorry, so that AC and that player actually scored the goal the moment that the referee was whistling. Now, to me, the referee should have played the advantage there. And in some way, VAR should have helped them say, look, that was a wrong decision. We are going to overturn it. But at that point, he had already whistled. Do you think there is anything possible to do in that situation? No. Once he, once the referee has whistled, that's it. That's, that's it. it. That's yeah, it. That's cannot, it. You cannot get involved. I mean, obviously, the referee then would, would most probably want the ground to open up and saw him because he'd most probably realize his mistake. Well, Oh, um, he, he, he had his hands all over his face like this yes, with the players yes, consoling yeah. him but telling him at the yeah. same time, what the fuck, mate? Well, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, we've all, we've, all, we've all been there. We have all been there. So it's just, it's just one of those things and that, 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 that happens and you've just got to hold your hands up. You've just got to hold your hands up. Mm-hmm. Look, let's, go, let's get back to where we were. VAR, always, it's a way to steer the pot a little bit, but I feel, I, I feel sweaty already. Like VAR has changed my just, life for the worse. I know. Just going, just going back to the, you know, the, the VAR and, and, and the handball, I think what is another nonsense is that you know, they're using the armpit and the shoulder, the, the, mm. slit, the, the, the T-shirt line, in, you know, to judge whether you're on or off now. Um, when do you ever see someone score a goal with their armpit or the, you know, the, <laughs> yeah? Okay? When do you ever see that in a t-shirt line? So it's ridiculous that you can score a goal with your arm, with your top part of your arm. The quicker we get back to the old law, is that a whole of your arm from the top of your shoulder down to your fingers is mm-hmm. handball. Then that, then that, that then we will see a lot more goals scored and not chalked off for offside. And do you think the offside, because I've, I'm finding the offsides more and more infuriating and the fact that every time you score a goal now, you're waiting for VAR to check it. Like, why, how have we got to this point where the offside rule has got so complicated and so precise? Because I feel like when I started watching football, it was like the daylight rule, right? If there was daylight between yeah. the defender and the striker, then it yeah. was offside. Then it was, 
if it was a body part you could score with. And now it's, as you said, it's if it, your armpit is offside. Why have we got to this point, do you think? And is there any way to go back? Well, like, yeah, I, I think I, I think they want to see more goals, don't they? That, mm. That's that, I think that's what it is. They want to see more goals. And, it's, you know, whether you're interfering with an opponent or you come become involved in active play by making a movement. I, listen, I, I, I like I like the new law. Um, I, yeah, we want to see more goals, but we've got to make sure it's interpreted correctly. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's what we need to do. And it, it, it is confusing. I think we just, I think we can simplify the law. Um, but listen, football's a simple game made difficult by others, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, always, <laughs> always, always. Um, I wanted to very qu- kind of quickly go back. So when you were uh, started out in the Sunday in the Sunday leagues, how did you find yourself working your way up? Was there somebody whose job it is to look out for different referees and say, this guy's got potential like a football scout, but for referees, like yeah. how does it work? Yeah, what, what it is, you go, I mean, obviously referees Saturday and Sundays, you, you apply to your county FA for promotion and then they send out assessors to assess you. And that's how, that's how you, you, you climb the ladder. And you get a grade for every game, right? Every game. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you, you used to, in the back in them days, you got a mark out of 10. Um, so, you know, you know, anything from one to 10. So luckily for me, I was always sort of very, very high. So I was, I, you know, I was, I think because I, you know, I knew the game. And it's, I mean, a lot of people say, you know, referees know, you know, know the laws of the game, but don't know the game. That's a, that's, that, that, that's a good saying. It is a lot of referees know the laws, but they don't know the game. And I, and I think playing the game, that's what helped me, you know, about, because I could understand players' mentality and their frustrations and, and having empathy with, with players at times. Yes, listen, shot floor language goes on on the field of play. There's no question mm. about that. You know, there's shot floor language does go on and, and right. players use it and referees use it. Let's talk a little bit of career highlights, shall we? Rory, yeah, you got any let's questions have since, have since have it was mainly any? Premier League? <laughs> well, you're going to well, have to tell know. us, right? You're going to have to tell <laughs> us. So one of the first questions we had, and it's a question that a lot of people have asked us, is who is the who was the manager, the player, that you, if you had to referee them, you were like, oh, Christ, today I'm going to go home with a bit of a headache. Like, who was the person who you least looked forward listen, to? Uh, listen, I looked, I looked forward to refereeing all my games. And yeah, listen, there'd be managers. Many, I mean, I got on well with all the managers, got on well with all the players. Um, yes, we, we would have disagreements. Um, you know, referees, I mean, managers will be upset and have a go at referees if they feel a decision's not gone their way. I mean, I... I mean, I've, I've had some run-ins with Neil Warnock. I've had some run-ins with Martin O'Neill when he was at, 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 at Villa. I always remember refereeing at the Etihad against Villa. And I awarded a penalty um, for a foul by the Aston Villa goalkeeper just before half-time. Um, and Villa weren't happy. And it was at the Etihad. Martin O'Neill and John Robinson were in charge. And uh, I always remember, like, just about a minute or two before half-time, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I'm going to get an earful going down that tunnel. <laughs> I just know, I just know it's coming. Um, and uh, I blew the whistle for half time. And right enough, so all the players are walking off. No problems with the players. But there they were, John Robinson, Martin O'Neill waiting for me. Give me a right volley of abuse. A right. And you're just volley. walking towards them, waiting for it to yeah, start. Oh, no, like, yeah. And they are. And I've just, and I've just gone, oh, I've got a cough. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we go, you know, they just give it. It's never a penalty. You're doing that, so, you know, you get the same old thing. You know, 
So I just went, we'd come lads in the dressing room, in the dressing room. And uh, normally, I, you know, when the team sheets come in, when the team sheets come in with uh, an hour before kickoff, they always come in, the managers and, and the captains come in. And uh, I always used to say, I always used to say to the captains um, and the managers, listen, if you've got any problem with me or my colleagues, do not come onto the field of play and start berating me in front of everybody. Okay. Wait till you get into the dressing room mm-hmm. and then you can come into my dressing room at halftime or at full time. And I always used to say that to all the managers. And John Terry, John Terry used to come in with the team sheet with his, with his manager. And I, when he came, I used to go whack around his face. I used to <laughs> smack him on the face. He said, why do you always do that to me when I come in the gym? I said, because I can't do it out on the pitch. That's why I do all that. <laughs> but going back to my going back to my O'Neill. Anyway, so we're in the dressing room having a cup of tea. Knock on the door. Who is it? John Robinson opens the door. I said, John, go away. I do not want to speak to you now. Because I know what it's about. He says, no, Mark, Mark, listen, we've seen the incident and I want to apologise. It's a definite penalty. Definite wow. penalty. Oh, come on in, John. Come on, let's have a little chat then. Come on. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so sit down. No, and, and, that, and, that, and that's that's fine. I always remember sending John Terry off at the Etihad against Chelsea. And he, after the game, he came in and he sat in the dressing room for fifteen minutes, and we had a, we had a good chat. And you know, we agreed to disagree. And mm-hmm. I've had I've had I've had many conversations in my dressing room with with managers. So I got I get on a well of all managers. I invite them in. I'm, I'm polite and give them the chance to mm-hmm. to speak. And yes, we many times we've agreed to disagree. But what when what goes on in my dressing room? With them stays in my dressing yeah, room. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. doesn't go anywhere else, and I make that well, clear. To you're you. telling us now, clear. man. <laughs> <laughs> but there must be there must be something. I'm wondering. There must be something like before a game, you kind of look at the lineup, at the squad, and there must be something like we got to watch out for this guy and this guy and this guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen. I mean, I've worked with. I mean, you know, you, you go to Liverpool at the time where you know you got. To, you know, Stephen Gerrard, Jamie Carrigan, you know, um, uh, Jordan Anderson as well. Oh, Jordan was always in your ear. Craig Bellamy was always oh, in your ear. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> you know, all the time. But, you know, I, I work with them. I've worked with Craig at BN Sports and he's great off the pitch. On, yeah. the, on the pitch, they can never stop going at you. But that's what keeps you on your toes. That's what keeps you on the toes. And, and the banter I used to have with all the players was was I used to, I loved it I loved the banter that we used to have with all the, I had with the players and I can't really turn around and say oh, there was one player that I didn't like or this player I didn't yeah. like yeah listen you had to watch out for players you knew that you know when you referee certain players Paul Scholes and and Roy Keane uh, Gary Neville wouldn't do things behind your back Stephen yeah. Gerrard wouldn't do things behind your back Alan Shearer wouldn't do things behind your back if they were going to do something they would do it in front of you right. <laughs> um, yeah. you, know, you, yeah. didn't, you, didn't, you didn't need eyes in the back of your head with those sort mm. of people um, but listen you know I, I, got, I had a great rapport with, 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 with all the players with all the players there was some top players you know Patrick Vieira when he was at Arsenal I had great rapport with Patrick mm-hmm. you know we used to be at each other all the time and and that's and that's what I say. You've got to you've got to endear yourself to the players. You've got to in, in, engage yourself with the players. Um, 
I think I think one player that didn't like me, to be fair, was um, and I'm going to apologise to him. Sol Sol Campbell, <laughs> I sent him off at Arsenal, Man United, and he missed the cup final. So oh, so that I was the elbow him. one, right? Yeah. Was that the elbow? Yeah, the elbow it yeah. was. That was yeah. pro- that was probably a red card, to be fair. Even as yeah, an Arsenal was, fan, but, but yeah, I, I even didn't as a... and he missed he missed the cup final, and I wouldn't want no one to miss a cup final. I, so I apologise to Sol for that. <laughs> the very next game, I refereed Arsenal. The next season, first game of the season against Everton, I sent him off again. Mark, so come on. Sad. So yeah, so but so I apologize, so please forgive me. <laughs> but if well if you he... you know, Saul Campbell always listened to our podcast. Yeah, so yeah, I'm sure I'm big, sure big he's big big picking fan. this up. Um if there's he a won't player... to, he won't listen to this one. <laughs> <laughs> if if there's a player that has a reputation for diving, does that come into your mind when you see them and when you make decisions? No, I think no. Listen, you cannot pre prejudge. You you got okay. a referee with what's in front of you. If you prejudge, and you're going to you're going to be making errors. So, you know, I, I was one of these that you know, players. You know, players. You, you see, players tend to now go down pretty easy, and you cannot blame them. You cannot blame them. But you know, when players are travelling at pace and going into the box, and there's a little bit of contact, players will lose the balance and go down. I don't mean to say they're, they're you know they're 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 seeking to gain advantage from you or. or or, or, or simulation or deceiving you. So you, you, you referee what's in front of you and you, you make your mind up, you know, there and then. And uh, if, if they do, if, I mean, listen, if they did go, some players did go down easy. I used to say, hey, you know, don't be going down easy. So I remember mm-hmm. refereeing Liverpool Man United at, at Anfield and always through took me coin, throw me coins to take the coins to the fourth official. And Christian Ronaldo was standing on the half line, halfway line. As I, was, as I was coming back, I just said to him, don't you be going down easy today because you'll get absolutely all out of me today <laughs> and he just, he just smiled at me he just smiled at me in the first five minutes he went down easy I said what have I just told you five minutes ago what have I just told you? <laughs> and he looks at me he smiled and he and, and he was great for the rest of the game so you know you it's about talking to the players and getting them on board with you mm-hmm. I mean you know yeah okay Mark has just given me a red it? card there it yeah. is Tommy there you go son you're off <laughs> I thought I thought my Zoom account had 40 minutes of recording, but I was wrong. But we have brilliantly edited for our podcast for you guys. Uh, I wanted to ask you something that I'm very curious of. One thing that I, I, I think is great about referees, I have never seen a referee in my entire life making any sort of face when an incredible goal goes in. And I'm like, how hard is it when you see a wonder goal right before your eyes to just put the whistle in your mouth, you whistle, and you don't say anything? What's going on in your mind in that moment? Listen, I mean, I've been behind many balls when they've, like, 25, I remember the Alan Shearer goal against Everton, I think he won goal of the season, didn't it? Mm. Um, the 25-yarder, when he's just yeah, well, it right into the back. Of it. I was right behind that. As soon as he left his boot, I said, That's in. I just went, That's in. That's a goal. That's a goal. And, and what a goal that was. I mean, many times you're behind them, you think, That's in. That's in. And I, I said, I went up to Shook's house, I said, What a goal. Great goal. And then, <laughs> no, like, nice. there's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think, you know, we're, we're all part of the football family. We've got mm-hmm. this myth about, Oh, you know, oh, there's reference, us, us and them. And that's that, that, that's not the that's not the case and yeah no one should ever ever question a referee's integrity i mean i refereed in the premier league for what 15 seasons and i made friends at every club i made friends at every club and i still got friends at, mm-hmm. at premier league clubs and, and and other clubs you know so listen you know once you cross that white line you're refereeing a, a match between 22 players to the mm-hmm. best of your ability and when you come off 
you know, irrespective of your performance, yeah, you're going to get some people not, you know, not agreeing with with your decisions. But when you walk off, you know, you 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 chat and you talk about it, and you know, we talk about you know managers, and you look at um, the Arsenal manager um, Arteta, 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 the last week against Tottenham. Now, Rob Holding, I mean, it's a blatant red card. It's a blatant red card. I well, think. Well, Listen, I mean, listen, the referee set his stall out, okay? The referee has set his stall out on, on that game, okay? Yeah. And, he, and he's, he, I think it's Paul Tierney, wasn't it? He, Paul Tierney set his stall out on that game. He's he's allowing he's allowing physical challenges. He's set his tolerance level because mm-hmm. he, he, I mean, all, in, they're all big games in the Premier League. So you've got to set your tolerance level. If you go beyond, below that tolerance level, you're going to have a stack of yellow cards. Yeah. And you don't, as a referee, you don't want that. You want to manage the players the best you can. And he could have he could have cautioned Rob mm-hmm. before that, but he said he stalled that and he yeah. set his tolerance level. So he gave him that tolerance level. So, so his first caution was persistently infringing the laws of the game. Yeah. Persistently. That was that that was the first caution. And then the second caution, I mean it's a blatant red card. There was no complaint well, there. He, and he Rob Holden had been at Son the whole Holden. game. Like, yeah. Rob Rob Holden was lucky. That Paul Tierney saw is the reckless use of the arm, not violent conduct. Because, yeah, you know, yeah, second yeah. yellow card, one game ban. If it's a red card, violent conduct, a three game ban. Yeah, yeah, and I think the way Arteta went. I mean, I've refereed Mikel Arteta many, many times. You know, playing for Everton, um, and he comes across. He's a nice guy. He's honest, but he does mm. have his he likes to have his say on the pitch. But yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I just think on, on that situation with his players, he's deflecting it all off of these players. And put it onto the referee, which was totally wrong. And everybody can see that. And he he doesn't see himself, he doesn't do himself any favours in no situation because he's deflecting everything mm-hmm. from his players and putting it onto the fault of the referee, where the referee had no choice whatsoever. No choice. So this is something yes. that a lot of like Arteta definitely did it there. And I think but it's something that yeah. a lot of managers do. How do you handle the kind of the furore in the papers or the focus that comes around you, especially if it's not something like maybe after a game you could turn around and go, okay, okay, I got that wrong. The kind of anger might be not justified, but a bit more justified. How do you deal with managers who are trying to shift the blame onto you? Do you just not read the papers and ignore it? Go to your next game or? We spoke about confidence earlier. You know, as as a referee, I never, ever read newspapers. I never watched I never watched Sky Sports News mm-hmm. over here that we have because you're constantly on if you made an error <laughs> because it can, can dent your confidence. And listen, the best referees, we all make mistakes. They park it and 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 they and they move on. Um, so yeah, it, 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 we all we all, listen. We all have bad days at the office. You mm-hmm. have bad days at the office. The players have bad days at the office. We're like the players. We're human beings. You cannot be at your best. Week in, week out, you're going to have an indifferent performance here and there, and you just got to, you just got to park it, put, you know, learn from it. Obviously, you learn from your your, your errors, and then park it, and you have to move on and look forward to the next game, and you can't wait for the next game to come. I've got a, a, a silly question for you, Rob. We are in overtime, second half oh, of overtime, <laughs> 119th minute. You are in one of the boxes and all of a sudden there is a long throw for the forward on the opposite box. Now you've been running for 119 minutes in the back of your mind. Do you think for fuck's sake or do you just start sprinting and make sure that you're there if there is a challenge? I've always thought about this one. (laughs) 
Well, I, I'm, I'm at the referee and it's uh, Norwich, Norwich, Liverpool. Um, and uh, Norwich had a corner kick and the ball, I was in, I was just outside the penalty area, the Norwich, the Liverpool penalty area, they were defending and the ball was headed out to Suarez. Um, and he was, ju- he was just outside the box and all, and, or just inside the, the um, Liverpool half. And this ball went straight out to him and he got the ball just on the halfway. And I'm going to myself, oh my God, no, <laughs> no. So, someone foul him, someone foul him, please. Look, son, he's hit this ball. He's, he's gone in. He's hit this ball, and, he, and I think he's gone straight in the straight in the back of the net. And I'm I've got myself. Oh, thank God for that! Thank God for that. <laughs> I can sometimes, stop. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I have been blown out of my ass, and I'm thinking, please foul him, please foul him, so I can stop. <laughs> then it does happen. It's, it wasn't only in my in my wicked mind. It does happen every time I see a long ball. It, it, I, keep, it, it, I keep an eye on the referee, happen. and I'm like. Come on, buddy! Yeah. You got a sprint now. <laughs> it, it does happen. It does happen. Oh, should I give a foul? Here? Should I give? Can I give a cheap free kick so we can stop the game? So I get a drink. <laughs> Beautiful. There was one last. Uh, well, another question from a listener that we've had, which is a kind of a, a bit more serious, I suppose, but about the lack of referees coming through in the in the UK now or in England. How can we address this problem, do you think? And how can we get... You've mentioned a lot of people being able to read the game, like know the game. How do we get ex-professionals or ex-players to become referees? Like, how do you think we can solve this problem? For me, I mean, if I was working... I mean, I've been in coaching and working, you know, before, you know in, in abroad and different countries and... I, I, I believe that what we should be doing, and there is a serious lack of, of referees, there's a serious mm-hmm. lack of um, top coaches refereeing, because I always I always say um, top football coaches turn average players into good players, good players into excellent players. And that's no different with refereeing. We've got a massive lack of, of quality coaches at the mm-hmm. top level. Why do you like people like yourself, people like Jeff Winter who retired and other other top referees that, that retired, Mike Dean, you know, we're going to use Mike Dean in the PGML. Um, mm-hmm. That's what we need to do. But I, I strongly believe that that you've got ex-players, League League One, League Two, you know, coming towards the end of their careers. They don't get, they don't get, they're not heavily paid, are no. they, in League One and League Two? And what they should do, the PFA should organise set up a scheme where they finish their playing career they pass they take their they take their laws of the game test they pass that okay and then put them straight into national league national league north national okay. league south and the national league straight mm-hmm. up into there straight in there just like the cricket um when the cricketers retire they yeah. go straight into um passing they do the 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 the, the umpires exam they go into um, second eleven cricket in the county okay. leagues. Yeah, second yeah, yeah. eleven. So I, I think to you know perhaps to speed up the the process, use these these ex pros. Uh, listen, I know some of the other guys down lower leagues won't like that, but we need to get. We're most probably one of the only only sports where we don't encourage the ex pros or do a fast track uh, system for ex pros mm. to get back get into the game. That's a really good, yeah. That's a really good point. I suppose no player wants to start down on the Sunday leagues, right? No, but they listen, it's not. It's yeah. not. I mean, you're looking at you're looking at two hundred two hundred thousand plus salary. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And it's more than what the, the I think the a year more than what the some of the league league two mm. players, league one, league two players get in. You know, the squad players. So listen, it's just it's just, it's just a thought. It's just a thought. Yeah. 
Nice. Look, Mark, I think we're we're getting close to the end of our chat, and I've thoroughly enjoyed this because it's honestly you've shined, you've shown. Today I'm having a horrible day. Yeah. I've got it's been a long day, Tommy. Don't, don't worry. Give it up, don't give it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm even an English teacher. Imagine, and I don't know the principle <laughs> of the verb to shine. You've shone a light on a very interesting subject. That is something that you know. When I think of referees, I'm like. Yes, there have been moments when I'm an Inter fan and just like any fan in the world where I've yelled at the screen and I've insulted the referee badly. But then at the same time, you're like, what if this guy wasn't there? Like, it would be total anarchy. So it's a very fascinating position and I've thoroughly enjoyed this chat. And I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the number one skill you need to have to be a referee? And what advice would you give to people who, just like you when you were 28, are kind of on the brink of, should I be a referee or just not? Listen, Tom, Thomas, I've done what you've done. I'm a big QPR fan and I've shouted at some referees as well. So listen, we're, we're human. We're, listen, we are we are human, okay? We're, we're not robots. We're not having something from outer space, but we are just like yourselves. And I, I, listen, I, I've refereed around the world. I've refereed many, many games. Um, you know, I've come back from adversity, battling cancer and, yeah. and, and, and saying, so same with my wife. We both had cancer. We both battled it and I came back back into the game where I was told I would never, ever referee again. Mm. And I did. I, I got back into refereeing at the top highest level. And I, 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 for me, it's life's too short. You've got to go out and enjoy every moment. You've got to go out and enjoy every moment and smile um, and engage with the players and be, be, be confident. And for me, the number one thing for, for any young referee or any referee is go out, enjoy it. And it's about managing the game mm -hmm. and managing the players. It's not always about the laws of the game. Yes, you referee within the confines of the laws of the game. It's about managing the situation. Mm -hmm. And that, for me, that is and having that awareness around you of what is going on. And you can, you know, you're seeing everything. You're seeing what's going on and you're talking. And for me, that's what I would say to any, any, young, any young person taking up refereeing is just go out, enjoy it and smile. And be confident and have confidence in your own ability. I love it. I, couldn't, I love it. I couldn't have asked for a, for a better answer. Mark, is there anything more that you would like to tell us about anything, a story or whatever, whatnot? I know it's a random uh, question, but. Well, I mean, listen, I mean, I remember you know, people say about, you know, remember um, my good mate, Jeff Winter, he was bat referee, he was refereeing the cup final, and uh, we, were, we trained together at uh, the referees get together and have a. Uh, you know, uh, eight aside because we like to play football as well. Yeah. And uh, to remember on the Thursday before the cup final, on the Wednesday before the cup final, he's come, he, the ball's come across, he's come through and gone up, come charging out, and I've, I've wiped him out and, 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 and injured his ankle. We've all gone, we've all gone, oh no, Jeff, I'm sorry, I hope, I hope you don't miss the cup final. So we enjoy playing football as well. And he never, he never lets me live that down. But going back to uh, the um, managers, I mean, I always had a great, great rapport with, with with Neil Warnock and I always remember refereeing refereeing many many times and uh, and I remember this 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 one game uh, it was Re it was Sheffield United and Reading both vying for the the Premier League Premier League places and they both got mm -hmm. I went up that year and it was one it was one nil one nil to uh, Sheffield United and I awarded Reading a, a penalty in the last minute and Paddy Kenny come airing out and took the player out and I've just gone penalty and Paddy's gone Marcus a penalty and uh, 
Neil Warnock, he's, he's, he's waiting for me. I mean, I, I worked with him on BT Sport. We had, I mean, we, we had a great rapport. And I remember him coming, knocking at my door. And I know, and he, everyone knows about Neil. And I went, I went, who is it? And he went, Neil, Neil Mark. I went, Neil, get lost. I don't want to yeah. speak to you. I know. He said, Mark, Mark, no, honestly, Mark, listen, all I want to do is come in and say, I thought you had a fantastic game tonight. And I went, Oh, in you come, Neil. Come and have a seat. <laughs> <laughs> I love Neil Warnock. I love Neil Warnock. I was really oh, sad when he retired. There was another time with Neil. Oh, it was a couple of times. Um, I remember, and then the following season, I refereed Reading and Sheffield United at um, at the Majeski Stadium. And uh, in the second half, Keith, Keith, Gillespie, Keith Gillespie comes on um, at a throw. So we haven't restarted play. So he's... He comes on and el- elbows um, Steve- Stephen Hunt straight in the face, straight away. I'm not even restarting mm, play. Yeah. <laughs> He's off. He's off. And then, and then, and then, living Wally Downs and, and Neil Warnock get involved. They start bloody screwing up. So I put them in the stand. And he's coming and said, Mark, I've done nothing wrong. I've done nothing wrong. I said, Neil, why did you get involved? Why did you not just walk away? Well, I don't like him, do I? <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can appeal all you like. And then the next time I had, I, I, I mean, I had him again, um, I think the season before I retired, it was live on Sky. I had Millwall Leeds at, um, at, the, at the new den. Tough games. Yes. I sent one of Neil. That is an I intense game. Them. Yeah. I sent one of Neil's players off for an elbow, and then he reckoned I should have given him a penalty, which I was in the middle of a penalty. And then <laughs> at the after, after the final whistle, all the players come up. Great game, Mark. Really enjoyed it. No problems. And then he comes, he comes running on. Don't shake his hand. He don't <laughs> shake his hand. He's a disgrace. And I was, I was, I just come back back with cancer. I just come back to my first season yeah. back, and I was furious. And I went. I'm gonna, I said to my sister, I'm going to knock him out. I, I'm going to do him. I, you know, I, I was that incensed. Yeah, yeah. I said, Mark, Mark, leave it, leave it. So anyway, we walked. You have to show your composure. You have to show your composure. Yeah. And I'm, in my head, I was like, I want to do him. I want to, I want to hit him. But you can't. You know what I mean? You can't. So anyway, I went into my dressing room. I was going into my dressing room. There's this great big bouncer on our door. And I said, do me a favour. Do not let Neil Warner in my dressing room. Yeah, he went, yeah, yeah. with great pleasure. With great <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> and he didn't, he didn't let him in. So after that, I was fuming. I phoned up the FA and I told him what had happened. Yeah. And he went, right, leave it with me. Leave it with me. And then on a Tuesday, he got fined £2,000 for, <laughs> for what happened with me on the, on the pitch for his unsportsman's, you know, his, his behaviour. So when we, when we started working together on BT Sport, the first thing he said to me, Oh, what was that £2,000 fine for? You got me. <laughs> I said, Neil, you bloody deserved it. He went, oh, perhaps I did really, didn't I? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, after that, we've become good friends and we worked together on BT Sport and we really enjoyed each other's company. So Beautiful. So I'm just going to end with, like, one last question, really. Has... What was the, like, what was the biggest moment on the pitch where you were like... Or the most surprising moment on the pitch? I mean, either like from a player or from managers on the sideline, a moment where you're like, what is happening? How do I deal with this? Uh, yeah, I don't think I ever had that, to be fair. Um, I mean, one of the toughest games I had was Birmingham, uh, Aston Villa, Birmingham at Villa Park, where, you know, fans were on the pitch. And, was that the you know, ankle? Two, was that I sent, I, sent, and... I, sent, I, sent, I sent two Villa players off, one being Dion Dublin for uh, headbutting 
Robbie Savage. Robbie Savage. Um, I remember that game. Yeah, and and, yeah. and Dion said to me, Mark, Dion said to me, Mark, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said, no, I'm sorry. I've got to send you off. <laughs> yeah. He probably deserved it. Savage probably but, yeah. said something. But, yeah. I mean, no, but he was good. I mean, Robbie was always good on good. He was hard to referee, but he was always good on, on, on mm. the pitch. But I think, um, you know, looking back, I think there's there were some moments. I mean, listen, we all, I refereed at the new Wembley, the old Wembley, you know, yeah. playoff finals, cup finals. And, and you know, we're like every player, you know, referees want to referee at, at Wembley Stadium. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was marvellous. But, People say to me, "What was my, you know, my my best ever game?" And um, I've got to say, my best ever game was my comeback game at Goodison Park yeah. from battling cancer with a friendly at uh, Everton versus Everton Chile. My little daughter was a toffee girl. My mm-hmm. wife was there, and um, you know, 26, 26 28,000 fans were there. And the standing ovation I got at the beginning yeah. and at the end was just was just second to none. And Everton Football Club will always be special in, in you know in my heart. Where they treated me myself, my family, and all a lot of the clubs as well, and and, and the players throughout, and, and the fans throughout the world. But I think if I look back, and um, I think the game when I came back, and also refereed my first Premier League game back after battling illness um, was was uh, Wigan Blackpool in mm-hmm. the Premier League. That, that's that that um, I think 2011, 2010 season, uh, 2010, 11 season, and uh, you know the the I got from all fans was uh, was was really really emotional. Really was. And, the, and we we want to give one to you too. We read about that on on online, and the, honestly, my I don't know if I would have come back to such yeah. an intense job, such a stressful job. It's an incredible congrats, achievement. It, congratulations it, it to you and your and your wife too. Yeah, yeah because I, I I mean I had sort of chemotherapy and radiotherapy, and uh, I mean my throat was awful, and I and I remember I had no saliva in my mouth oh, because the, the radiotherapy killed it all. And uh, I always remember coming back and, and when players went, when they went down, because I needed to drink through, I had to drink plenty through the game. Yeah. When players went down injured, uh, injured, with an injury, I said, do you want treatment? They said, no, I said, well, give them a kick. I said, you do now. I need a drink. I need a drink. <laughs> Mark, it's been beautiful to meet you. Thank you very much again for joining us today. I'm sorry I was all over the place and I ended up being sent off. <laughs> So we've, we've, we've just VARs in recommending for a view and I've got to take the red card away. So you're okay. Uh, there right. you go. You're oh, fine. You're fine. There right. you go. VAR is working. <laughs> It is working after all. Mark, thank you so much. It's been great. And get ready. We're going to message you quite a bunch asking <laughs> your opinion about certain fouls yeah. or certain missed calls. It's been yeah, a great no pleasure. Say hello yeah. to your family and yeah, good we'll luck with your coaching career, I guess. Alavadurchi, my amigo. Arrivederci. Bye bye. And there we go. I think that was a really, really interesting, funny, fascinating interview. Such a nice guy. I feel like he could have talked forever. I feel like we genuinely could have got a bit more time out of him, eh? Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I was just like, I felt bad wrapping it up at the end. But then I was like, yeah. you know, we've got, you know, how many people say, you know, I've got children, man. We've got listeners, man. Uh-huh. And we've <laughs> kept you on this pod for almost two hours. So it was kind of time to go. But thank you again, Mark. As I said on the interview, we're going to contact you quite a yeah. bit uh, over the next season to ask you just your opinion on a few things. It's time to preview all the games of this weekend. We are going to do it super duper quickly. It all kicks off in Serie A tonight for you listeners on Friday. 
Torino take on Roma. One of the teams that has been arguably that has done better than most people expected. I think season, I think according to the transfer market this summer, Torino could be looking a bit better and maybe, maybe aim at Europe next season. On the other side, we've got Roma. Why are they playing on Friday? Because it's so Roma have time to prepare for the Conference League final in Tirana, Albania next week. Unfortunately, Roma cannot go... Uh, yeah, no, sorry. Roma are still playing for a Europa League spot. They want to win this game and secure it. Then on Saturday at 5.15... <laughs> damn it. 5.15 p.m. Central European Italy. Time. <laughs> yes, so already, already relegated Genoa. Take on Bologna. And then we've got... Three games at 8.45, Atalanta-Empoli, Fiorentina-Juventus, Fiorentina Oof. also trying to get into the Europa League party, but they will know the result of uh, Roma already. And then Lazio-Verona, which I think is going to be a very interesting nice. closing game to the season. By the way, if you've got time at 5.15 p.m. Central European time in Italy, do tune in to the Genoa-Bologna game because I think that the Genoa supporters are going to put on an incredible show because that's what they always do. And they're going to be like, Serie B, don't give a fuck. We still support Genoa nice. and nothing else matters. <sighs> Sunday, lunchtime, kickoff, Spezia versus Napoli. And then at 6 p.m., Inter Sampdoria, Sassuolo Milan. It all wraps up with the relegation battle on Sunday night at 9 p.m., Salernitano Dinese and Venezia Cagliari. That will be the final act of this year's Serie A. And in the Premier League, I, even I can't get the make the times complicated on this one. It's all on Sunday at 4 p.m. in the UK. Nice and quickly, let's do it. Crystal Palace hosting Manchester United. Bit of a dead rubber, but Man United still trying to get into the Europa League, so maybe they can get something there. Arsenal hosting Everton, who are battling for survival, depending how Thursday night's game went. We have Chelsea hosting Watford. That's going to be a walkover. Leicester taking on Southampton in possibly the dead rubberest of all the games. Um, Brentford taking on Leeds United. Leeds battling, battling for survival, hoping that things go their way. Burnley taking on Newcastle. Battling, battling for survival, hoping things go their way. Man City hosting Aston Villa. Looking to get the job done to seal the God know how many Premier League titles in the last 10 years. We have Norwich who are going to batter Tottenham. And then we have Brighton hosting West Ham in another European battle and Liverpool hosting Wolves. That is the end of the Premier League. I can't believe it. And we've been robbed of a Summer World Cup. No football for 12 weeks. Oh, my God. What's going to happen? There's going to be a lot of planning for next season. We're not going to say anything, but I think either Monday or Thursday, you should. we should share some of our intel. Um our show is going to take a little bit of twist, of a turn. And uh, we hope it's for the better. That's why we're mm-hmm. doing it. But it's yeah. all from me. <laughs> yeah, that is the main reason why we're doing it. Yeah, yeah. It's all from me. Forza Inter, Forza Inter, Forza Inter, and Forza Sassuolo. Look, it, it won't happen. But if it happens, wow, we will. That would be incredible. Guys, remember to follow us on Instagram at AngloItalianPod, on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod, and to give a follow to our sponsor at Sports Club Maps. Be sure that if Inter Milan win the title, I will drunkenly take over our Instagram and will share everything that is going on in the city center of Milan. Rory, I will leave it to you to send off our listeners. 
before our customary quote, I'm just I've just got a little bit of a message for Norwich. And all it is is Norwich. Lads, it's Tottenham. And our quote for this week is if a free kick is well taken, it is impossible to save. And it is, of course, from the birthday boy himself, Andrea Pirlo. Have a good weekend. We will see you on Monday when Arsenal will be in the Champions League. And Tommaso will still be drunk. Talk to you later, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>